Well, this morning we're resuming our study on God's covenants with men. And we are looking at direct biblical examples of those covenants. I hope by frequent repetition, uh, it will sink in, uh, begin to sink in more and more. Uh, the covenants that God made with men we have listed so far are the covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham. And this morning we'll be studying God's covenant with Moses and Israel. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to review the major points we have already seen in the covenants that God made with Noah, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's one covenant. And um, with the three patriarchs. We also, look, we, we also have already looked at a sample between uh, a sample bilateral covenant between two parties, two men, Abraham and Abimelech, king of Gerar. Okay, so that's where we have been. And uh, there are eight main points, eight main concepts that I had sought to set before you. And now, see what with this nice piece of paper you have. The eight things listed numbered, one through eight. So it's hard to misunderstand at this point, I hope. So here they are. We're going to run through them real quick, and then we're going to get to Moses and see how far we get with Moses and Israel. The first major concept is that the essential element of a covenant is an oath-sworn promise. It is a promise strengthened with an oath. In the Noahic covenant, God promised never to flood the world with water again, never to destroy the earth with water as he did. Uh, with the Abrahamic covenant, God gave three promises, a triple promise. The promise of an innumerable seed of the land and a blessing, land seed blessing. If you remember those three, you're in pretty good shape with the Abrahamic covenant. But those are sworn promises that God has made. He promised and he went above a promise and he said, I swear, okay? Hebrews 6 is the key text there. Number two, one purpose of God's covenant is to create the assurance of faith. God determined to overcome doubt. And as you go through the covenants, you'll see that the, the people who received these promises, they said it's too good to be true. How could this happen with a person like me? And God uh, wanted to overcome doubt. Seeing this in the elements we have looked at so far, and it is my contention that this is true of all the covenants God made with men. Okay, that's number two. Number three, God's covenants are unilateral. God sets the stage. God determines what the covenant looks like, how the covenant acts. God's covenants uh, establish a relationship. He determines what the relationship will be, and he determines all the features. God calls the shots. God's in charge. And of course, that is very much consonant with our view that everything ought to be to the glory of God. The covenants show that in a peculiar way. Number four, God's covenants establish, and this is, I did not emphasize this too much, 
but it's very important. We're going to see it much more with Moses and Israel. God's covenants establish covenant communities. They, that is, they establish a multi-generational relationship between God and the people who are related to the main person. And uh, uh, I'm really condensing a lot of material here. Uh, the men, like Noah, like Abraham, like Moses, like Jesus, are called God's righteous servants. These are examples of righteous servant covenants. With Noah, God says, you only I have seen righteous in all the earth. That's why God chose Noah to make the covenant with. But uh, there is a righteous servant, and then there is a community related to that person. And of course, we see that in the new covenant. Jesus is God's righteous servant par excellence. And we are the community formed by that covenant with Jesus. So God's covenants establish, God's covenants establish covenant communities. In the Noahic covenant, God makes the covenant with Noah and his family, and even the animals in the ark, if you remember. Quite striking. And all succeeding generations. We are living under the Noahic covenant, as everyone since Noah has been. The Abrahamic covenant is made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with their designated descendants. That's not in the notes yet. God made sure that Abraham understood that there were certain persons related to him who were the designated descendants. Ishmael was not a designated descendant. He told him, Isaac is the child of promise, you see. So that's, that God, God, um, God told Abraham who the designated descendants were and how the covenant promises were going to come to his descendants. So that's the principle of the covenant community. God's covenants form not only promises to the central person, God's righteous servant, but with covenant communities, with people related to them. And we're going to see how that principle, and I'm just setting it out there for you. Before we're done, God helping us, we're going to see how that touches into the new covenant community. Okay, number five, principle number five in God's covenants. God's covenants are interrelated. They are interrelated. Uh, they're, they're, uh, there are these things called Russian dolls. It's a little doll, little doll, and it's you can split it, and inside the little wooden doll is another wooden doll. And inside that wooden doll is another wooden doll, etc., etc. You get the idea. The covenants are like those Russian dolls. The covenants are interrelated. Now, this does not mean that they are identical because they are not identical. By the nature of the case, they couldn't be. Uh, but we will come to particular texts and make this clear. They are interrelated. Interrelated, but not identical. Number six. 
God's covenants are progressively revealed. Now we saw this with the covenant with Noah. God began telling Noah long before the water started falling that uh, he was going to make a covenant, that he was going to rescue him and his family. He gives him some previews of what's going on with the covenant. God doesn't say everything about that there is to say about the covenant all at once. He generally repeats various aspects of his covenant and then adds others. God makes his covenants the occasion of vital revelations. Often God provides revelation before the covenant is made. This is a feature of God's revelation. There is a preview, there is some description beforehand, then the covenant, and then further enumeration of revelation about that covenant and how that covenant works. So there's covenant revelation before the covenant and following the covenant to inform his people of the significance of the covenant. You see it in the Noahic covenant, Genesis 6 through 9, and in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12 through 17. We're going to see the same thing in the Mosaic covenant. Number seven, seventh feature of God's covenants. God's covenants are graciously redemptive. They are graciously redemptive. All of God's covenants are redemptive. All of them are gracious. What, what we mean is that they are undeserved, especially by the parties who benefit from them. They are undeserved. God's covenants rescue his people from the wicked world in which they live. Noah and his family are rescued from the wicked generation and the judgment of the flood. Abraham's rescued from the pagan culture in which he was born. When Joshua was an old man in Joshua 24 and verse 2, Joshua says, Your father, Abraham, along with his father and his people, worshipped as pagan people. They were pagans. Abraham was not originally a righteous man. But God called him away and separated him from his, his, uh, his people. So... God redeemed Abraham, and God graciously redeems his people. We'll see this in the Mosaic Covenant. It's a gracious covenant. I'll, I'll put something out here at this point. If you read about covenants, you'll find that some people say that the Mosaic Covenant was a covenant of works. That the people, and this is especially true of dispensationalism, that the people were saved in a different manner than we are saved. They were saved by works, and we are not. Well, nobody ever is saved by works. God's covenants are always gracious. And God has, this is, this is the beauty of covenant theology. God's method of Salvation is always the same. Always. Nobody ever was safe from their sins except by grace. So that's number seven. 
God's covenants are graciously redemptive. Eighthly, and finally, God's covenants make demands on the covenant community. This must not be thought of as destroying the gracious character of the covenants. It appears in the Noahic covenant, Genesis 9, 1 through 8, where God makes demands upon the generations to come, on Noah and his family. That's why murder is visited with capital punishment. That starts in Genesis 9. It's one of the demands of the Noahic covenant. And it extends even to the animals. And this is true of the Noahic covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2, verses 9 and 10, verses 1 and 2, what does God say to Abraham? Walk before me and be perfect. There's a call to holiness that belongs to all the covenants God makes. God makes covenant demands on the covenant community. Well, if you, what you have in your hands with those eight things will help you immensely in understanding God's covenants. They're a good guide to God's covenants with men. There are other things to say about the covenants, but one, one cannot say and everything in a short course like this. So now we're going to turn to the Mosaic Covenant, and we'll see how far we get. I have enough material to cover all those eight points with reference to the Mosaic Covenant, but we probably will run out of time. So whatever we don't get to today, we'll get to, God willing, next week. And I'm rearranging things a little bit. So in the first eight, they're numbered one through eight, but now you'll notice that in the second section, where we deal with the Mosaic Covenant, I changed the order. I try to do that in a way that you can see we're starting with number five instead of number one for various reasons. So, number five, feature number five of God's covenant dealings with men and of the Mosaic Covenant in particular is that God's covenants are interrelated. The Mosaic Covenant, it ought to be plain is intimately related to the Abrahamic covenant. That's very important for us, brethren. The Mosaic covenant is intimately related to the Abrahamic covenant. You remember that when God made the covenant with Abraham, he told Abraham how his seed, that's really the easy way of remembering descendants, that's Abraham's seed, right? That they would receive the blessings of the covenant. Let's look quickly. As a reminder, at Genesis 15, verse 13. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 13. This is the key passage on the Abrahamic covenant. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants, literally your seed, will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. That where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, 
you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return from, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete and not yet full. So you see here, God is swearing to Abraham the promises of land, seed, and blessing. And when Abraham wonders, well, how does this work? God graciously tells him, God doesn't have to, but God graciously tells him, Abraham, here's how it's going to work. And the things that he talks about are the things that happen in the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant with Israel. So, there you see, it's interrelated. After the birth of Moses and his removal to Midian, we are informed that God was going to rescue his people because of the Abrahamic covenant. Look in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2.23. Start there. Okay. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. So, you, so, so see, you hear the whole thing starts with Abraham at Midian, away from Israel. But God is present and God is remembering, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an oath-sworn promise. And now I'm going to take action. And then in Exodus chapter 3, just a couple of pages over, Exodus 3, starting in verse 6. So when Moses sees the burning bush, God tells him, take off his feet. And he said, God says to Moses, the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God here tells Moses again, he already has a relationship with these people. They're his people. He's their God. And now he's going to fulfill the terms of the Abrahamic covenant. So the, this is the point. Number five, God's covenants are interrelated. Very important. And it comes... Uh, of, of importance in point number three from our previous list point number three God's covenants are unilateral they are unilateral God makes the oath 
God is the one who takes initiative. What would have happened to the people of Israel if God had not appeared to Moses in the burning bush? They would have been slaves. They would have been wiped out. But God takes the oath. God makes the oath. God takes the action. God establishes the relationship. God determines all the features of the covenant. There is, um, as some have noted, a bilateral aspect of this Mosaic covenant by necessity. Let me, let me try to explain. So this is a, one of the trickier parts. When the covenant was made with Abraham, God did not need some verbal assurance that Abraham would obey him and do his will. God calls Abraham to his covenant obligations, walk before me and be perfect. He tells Abraham in, in chapter 17 that all his descendants must be circumcised. That's a feature of the Mosaic, of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham has to obey. God says anyone who's not circumcised will be cut off from his people. It's a covenant obligation. God knows that Abraham will obey and God knows the hearts of all the people. So it's not like God has to find out whether they'll obey him or not. God knows all about it. But the nation's commitment to do God's will needs to be known, not for God. He knows everything they will do and everything they will not do. At the end of this period, Deuteronomy 31, just before they entered the land, verses 16 to 18, God tells Moses, I know that when you die, these people are going to be unfaithful. God knows. God knows. But it is important for two people especially, Moses and Joshua need to know what's going to happen to Israel and whether or not they're going to obey God. So God makes it clear. And the people themselves think they know. And they say things. They say things like, um, we will obey. We'll do everything the Lord God says. We will obey. We will be obedient. Now, dispensational theologians say, well, that was a mistake. They took up the covenant of works and nonsense. Nonsense. It's not true. Don't believe it. There's a guy uh, named Gerhardus Voss. He has a nice book called Biblical Theology. And he summarizes the unilateral nature of the covenant. This book, and I'm going to read a little bit, a small paragraph to you. Very helpful. He is Gerhardus Voss. He says it should be noticed that here the covenant appears for the first time as a two-sided arrangement, although this by no means is the reason for its being called a covenant. This reason, why is it called a covenant? This reason lies entirely in the ceremony of ratification. When Moses sprinkles the blood and tells them, this is the blood of covenant by which you are, uh, uh, by which it is uh, ratified, I'm paraphrasing. As to the arrangement itself, great emphasis is placed on the voluntary acceptance of the covenant by the people. 
It is true that the initiative in designing the terms is strictly reserved for Jehovah. No parlaying, no cooperation between God and man in determining the nature and content are from the standpoint of the narrative. It is Jehovah's covenant exclusively in that respect. And if you think about it, the people of Israel would not have really agreed to everything God said. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to choose a new leader. They wanted to make their own God. You see, they, they weren't truly in heart committed to everything God said. God is the one who's responsible for the fulfillment of the covenant. It is unilateral in that regard. Number one. Now, number one. Another. Another. Little bit, little bit tricky point about the Mosaic Covenant. The essential element of a covenant is an oath sworn promise. Now, if you're like me, when you see that, you say, okay, I need to find that then. I need to, I need to see where the covenant oath sworn promise is. The actual swearing of the Mosaic Covenant is not recorded in the Old Testament. That's what you'll find. The, the key passages which theologians use for this point is Exodus 19 and Exodus 24. Just, I just state that. That's where they, that's where people point when they talk about God's sworn promise to Israel. The actual swearing is not recorded in the Old Testament. However, this should not make us think that there is no oath. That would be a mistake. Some theologians have made that mistake. We can trace an oath in every other covenant. And since God calls this his covenant with Israel, there, there has to be an oath. And I have four reasons for saying that this covenant contains an oath, uh, contains oaths one promises. Number one, first, this is an outworking of the Abrahamic covenant. So the oaths, to Abraham supplied the oath formula because God promised, I'm going to give you an innumerable seed. I'm going to give them the land. I'm going to make you a blessing. Those are the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And they are fulfilled in the Mosaic covenant, you see, because they're interrelated. Secondly, the promise is clearly stated. There's no mistaking what God is promising to do in the Mosaic Covenant, turn please to Exodus 19 and verse 3. Exodus chapter 19. And um, it is significant that Exodus 19 precedes Exodus 20. Because Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, which are at the heart of the Mosaic Covenant. So in 19.3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Israel, and the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's what they need to do. That's what they ought to do. Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words 
that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. You see what God is doing. God is saying, this is my promise to you. I promise you're going to be my people. I will be their people. I, they will be my people. I will be their God. That's the promise. And in this context, it's particularly that they are God's covenant people. So this is the promise of the Mosaic Covenant. And from Exodus chapter 29 to Exodus 23, God gives Moses the covenant obligations for Israel. And again, in Exodus 24, the covenant is ratified in verses 3 through 8. The people profess obedience and the covenant is sealed with sacrificial blood. So the first reason why I say this is a covenant, there is a covenant promise, is because it's related to the Abrahamic covenant. Number two, the promise is clearly stated in Exodus 19.3. Number three, God states that he has made this covenant with Israel. God says, I made a covenant with Israel. Jeremiah 31. 31. Now let's turn there. I know our time is just about gone, but to take a, a couple more texts here and finish up this point. Jeremiah 31, 31. A key text for understanding both the Old Testament and the New. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. You see this? See this passage? Does God not say, I made a covenant with the house of Jacob and the house of Israel. I made a covenant with those people. And now I'm going to make a new covenant. And although all the covenants are interrelated, they are not identical. God says, this covenant I'm going to make, this new covenant, it's not like. It's not like. And so many people ignore those words. There are lots of people who start reading the covenant theology and you find lots of people who say, Oh, the new covenant's just like the old covenant. God says it's not like the old covenant. It's not. Plain language. And the Hebrew is no different than the English. New is something entirely new. It's not something refurbished. It's not something you go on Amazon and order a refurbished computer. No, this is not like. So, but... I should not be missing here, and you should not be missing here, is that God says, I made a covenant with them in the day. I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So that tells us that there is indeed an oath-sworn promise in the uh, Mosaic Covenant. And, and the last thing, um, the covenant is ratified by the shedding of blood which seals the covenant. So there is a covenant promise. There is an oath sworn promise, although it's not recorded explicitly here. Okay, well, my time is, is gone. So next week, God willing, I won't have to do as much review because I've done a lot here. 
Uh, you can take your paper and look through it. You can look through the rest of the uh, items that will be, but we will start with number two next week on that page. Uh, the purpose is to create assurance. We'll look at it at that time. Let's now ask God to help us as we grapple with his word and seek to understand the message which it has for us, because this is very relevant to us, brethren, in many ways. Let's pray. Father, again, we are very thankful that you have given us your word. And you, not, you have not written it to confuse us. You have written it so that we will understand your ways, so that we will know you, our God, whom you have sworn to bless us through the Lord Jesus Christ, your holy, righteous servant, who has fulfilled your covenant and blessed us. And so we pray that you would help us as we grapple with these things and seek to understand them. Don't let us turn to the right hand or to the left from your truth, but graciously grant us your truth and save us from our wicked and perverse generation. We ask through Jesus our Lord. Amen.